0: Welcome to Recruit Graduation Podcast. My name is Andrew, your host, and on behalf of myself and team, we send our love and prayers to all of you. Welcome to Episode 10 and to my guest, Susanna Welford. Welcome, Susanna.
1: Thank you, Andrew. I'm happy to be here.
0: Oh, I'm excited that you're here. I've been looking forward to this all week. Susanna, you founded the nonpartisan organization Running Start. Right. That the political voice of young women in America. And you have 100 training programs across the country. And so far, you've put 15,000 women and counting through your program.
1: Yes, correct. We're very proud of it.
0: That is amazing. You know, when I read that, like 15,000. And you've not just done this domestically. You've been all over the globe from Belgium to Germany, Jamaica, and you've really worked in a lot of areas in politics, including the White House.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like I've been really, really lucky with my career. And the international work is has been especially exciting over the past few
0: years. Well, I'm truly inspired by your passion for educating young women in leadership, and especially in politics. I've served with women during my active duty service. I'm prior a uh, Marine Corps, as well as worked with women in the workforce. So primarily with active duty spouses and veterans. And just kind of on a side note, Active-duty spouses have the highest unemployment rate because they travel Mm -hmm. with their spouse with these Mm -hmm. transitions that military families do, and so that unemployment rate is really high. But I can say without doubt that they are some of the smartest, educated, diverse, logistically driven, and trusted individuals I've ever worked with. And so I just am always in awe when I get a resume from a spouse or a veteran, a female veteran, just how talented they are. Um and Susanna, our audience is made up of veterans and active duty service members, but largely family members with recruits attending boot camp training right now. Oh, so I want yeah. to dive into the topic of you know how a woman, a woman creates a path, not only as a leader, but something you're very passionate about, about being a game changer in politics. Can you just start us out with what your company is about, how you formed it? and how you're finding success?
1: Yeah. So thanks so much um, for that that question. Um, I am the founder of Running Start. I, I started up the organization back in 2007. And I started it actually because I was running another organization that was giving money and support to young women who were running for Congress. My goal with that, in fact, my goal has kind of always been I wanted to get more women into politics I thought that the best way to do that was to give money and support to the women who were running. My particular niche was and still is working with the youngest women because there just are so few young women in in power at any level. So I was running this um, political action committee, um, helping young women get elected to Congress, but then realized that there just were not enough women um, to support. And so in 2007, I pivoted and started the nonprofit organization Running Start with the idea of finding young women all around the country from all different backgrounds who really wanted to learn how to become powerful people who could be change makers Um, change makers at every level. So I want them to run for office because that's a very direct way you can make change. A big part of what Running Start does is we teach people how to get people to listen to them, how to become a voice in their community, how to be somebody who, who other people see as a problem solver. And so I've been doing this for... Such a long time. And as Andrew said, um, we have had thousands of young women go through our program. And I'm just so heartened to see that our approach really, really works to take somebody who doesn't feel like they have a voice, doesn't feel powerful, show them how to, you know, become this person who can really make change happen.
0: I have so many questions. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Start. uh, Like I said, I've been very excited to visit with you and just, you know, I don't know if my questions are inappropriate or what, but. Go ahead. um, Why is this? Why is there, when you said people to listen to them, I'm thinking, why wouldn't somebody listen to just another human being? But you're saying to a woman, why is that?
1: So I'll give you the broad answer, and then I want to bring it um, back to the military. So here's what I think. I think um, it seems like an insulting thing to say women don't see themselves as powerful as men do. Like you think that 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 sounds like that is not a great thing to to say about women. But when you look at the research that has been done by so many people over and over again, you know, not just recently, but you know, years in the past. Women consistently show that they don't feel as qualified to do the big jobs as men do. And it's not because we're not qualified. My God, I think women have so many incredible leadership traits and we have so much to offer, you know, if we were to get into power. But I think you have to look at, at the history of the world and women in the time that humans have been on earth, they have very, very rarely been the top leaders in power and so i think it is it's a big it's a cultural change that we're going through right now in society of realizing wait a minute you know we've had this one type of leadership basically forever and now we're at a point you know through a lot of different factors where it makes so much sense to have a more balanced type of leadership women and men leading equally and so so that's i really think that that's what we're trying to overcome it's it's these cultural societal norms that say that You know, women are not the people in power. Men are the people in power. And also, you know, part of that is too, is that it's not just, it's not just gender. It's that the top people tend to be white men. So we are, are working with these women to help them identify the barriers that, that cause that way of thinking so they can see themselves as powerful people. And then, of course, there's, you know, it it can't just be the women seeing themselves as powerful people. It has to be something that, um, society as a whole starts to understand the importance of having a better balance of power.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I just, the word that comes to my mind is liberation. You know, when I was younger, what the phrase was, women's live. And <laughs> women's like um, but yeah. the word liberation to me and what I teach, when I, mean, I work with communities of, of color and of poverty and low education Liberation is liberating yourself from oppression. And so something or someone is yeah. oppressing you, the first step is we love our oppressor. And then we take on our ourselves to move ourselves and, and find a better path, an alternative that bring a better outcome. Does does that play into your training, the liberation of, I guess, I just don't want to say yeah. women, just no. liberation.
1: Yeah, but I, I think that they, that's exactly right, because it really is. Um, we always talk about how there are two things that are holding the people who are not in power Um, back from power. And one of the factors is external. There are a lot of external factors that, that keep, um, people of color and young people and women out of power. But then you can't forget that there are tremendous internal barriers that are, are equally holding people back. And that you need to be liberated by society with those external factors, but you also have to liberate yourself. You have to, to shrug off all of those those barriers that, that have you make you tell yourself I'm not good enough to do this, or I don't look like the people in power. So I must not be supposed to be, one of the people in power. Um, yeah. I, I think that, that liberation is a great word. Nobody says that anymore, Andrew. I mean, you know, the whole women's lip thing is, is I haven't heard that in, it, since I was a kid, I um, feel like, but, but I like that you brought it back. I think that, um, I think that it really does fit.
0: Often. I'm afraid to say, I'm afraid to use the word oppression. It scares people. Uh, oppression. No, well, we don't do that, but we do. Uh, we, we do. We certainly do. And it's seen in a variety of ways. And I don't want to point fingers and blame because a lot of it's unconscious. A lot of these things we we just don't realize we're doing that. Well, thanks for responding back to that. But I do really believe that that liberation, that love for yourself, and we were talking... Right before we, you know, came on air about, you know, I need those affirmations myself. Sure, you know, oh, I'm yeah. going to interview this wonderful, powerful woman. I, I'm a little intimidated <laughs> sometimes. That liberation and those fears that we have doesn't discriminate. It really hits us all. No,
1: you're right. You know, I, Andrew, just to address that, I mean, this is getting a little off, um, off of our topic, but I think it's really interesting. So. um, When I speak in groups that have, um, that have men, uh, in the audience as well, I often do have men say, you know, we, we have the imposter syndrome, which, you know, is, is what you're talking about, where you feel like I'm not good enough. Um, I'm not sure I can do this. I'm not the right person. I'm not qualified. But, um, studies show actually that even though men probably feel it maybe as much as women do, it doesn't hold men back as much. So it's interesting. So I mean, you give this example, like, you know, about doing interviews, but you're doing an interview right now. And I think that sometimes, especially if nobody like you has done the thing that you're scared of doing, then it's so easy to just say, I'm not going to do it. It seems to hold women back more than it holds Men back. So one of the big things that we do at Running Start. So just to tell you a little bit about how we work, we are we work with high school and college and a little bit with young professional women, um, but it's mainly high school and, and um, college age women. Everything we do is very hands on. Actually, it's an interesting moment. I paused because I'm just thinking. My usual line is everything we do is in person because I feel so strongly that if you're gonna inspire somebody to do something as difficult as you know becoming a leader that, You really need to stare that person in the eye and say, "You can do this. I I know that you're capable of this." And of course, in this strange period of time that we're in right now, with the COVID pandemic, we are having to pivot and we're having to figure out ways to do this all virtually. And it's actually it's worked really it's worked fine so far. But what we do is we say that we have three pillars of our training. Um, The first is capabilities. So we train these young women in how to do public speaking. We teach them messaging. You know, if you, if you want to be able to persuade somebody to go your way, you need a really good message so that you can, you can get your point across. Um, we teach them networking because I don't care who you are or where you come from. You have to know that ability to talk to people and get people to sort of to see you and to listen to you. So we teach a lot of, of those skills our capabilities We work a huge amount on confidence and building people's confidence. And a lot of the way you do that is you have somebody stand up and do something hard that they're scared of doing, like giving a public speech in front of somebody. And then the last thing is connections. We connect the young women who go through our program to powerful people who can help them to get to the next step, because we all need connections. We all need people who can help us, who believe in us, and who will you know, take us by the hand and make sure that we, we get to, to where we're trying to go.
0: It's all about relationships. And I love that. How long is your training? program
1: well we have um we have several different ones so we actually um we've got one that goes for four months which is for college and graduate students and it is um it's a semester long and we place them in internships on capitol hill that program is only for low-income young women uh, who would never otherwise be able to get an internship on capitol hill because you have to move to washington dc which is a very expensive city and you have to um work for no pay. Most of the internships on Capitol Hill don't pay you anything. Um, So we have have that program. And then we have a program for high school students, which this summer is a six-week program that we're doing virtually. And then we have lots of College training programs and seminars that are really open to to everybody that do trainings on um, all the the skills that we were discussing before.
0: When you uh, mentioned the low income, you know, coming to D.C. for that internship and used the word "never," my head immediately was like shaking back and forth. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, never. I was like that. You know, gosh, that's the problem. You know, we have to use words. (laughs) And you're filling filling that void, trying to make that happen. I want to ask you about two words and have you give me the definitions of them. I did look them up because you speak a lot about a 50-50 world. What would that Uh look like? Where where men and women are equal. There's just so much into that question in itself. Like, when would that happen? But when when we say 50-50, the words parity and equality come into play. And I just want to add one more thing to this and I'll let you Mm -hmm. answer that there are a lot of communities that you would say parity would be nice, but I'm from, I'm a person of color or I live in poverty. Uh-huh. I struggle with equality, let alone yeah. parity. So mm-hmm. how does, what does the 50, 50 world look like? And then those two words, parity and equality, and do we mix them up and does the, I'm going to use your words, but they're mine too, the, the powerful white man, does he let us confuse that on purpose?
1: Um, that is that is such a good question. So I, right now, I'm teaching a class at American University on political leadership and women. And I um, it's just so funny you asked me that question today because I'm reading proposals from my class on, they have to do a final project on what a 50-50 world would look like. What would it look like if men and women in the United States had equal power. And so I've spent literally all morning reading their um, project proposals on what they they see. You know, you're absolutely totally right that let's imagine that we get to a world where men and women have equal power. That doesn't mean that any people of color will be represented. It doesn't mean that any LGBTQ people will be represented. I mean, it's exactly what you said. If we're looking only at gender, then we're missing a huge part of the picture. And I I really think that any time that we talk about like what would be an ideal future, we have to think the key in so many ways is not um, having that 50-50, half men, half women. It's got to be diversity. And by diversity, I mean all kinds of diversity. So Running Start... Really, from the absolute beginning, decided this was going to be the biggest thing that um, that we wanted to cultivate in our community, and so we have um, we actually have a slightly um, higher number of, of women of color than um, non women of color uh, in our cohort. We have people of all different socioeconomic groups. We have people who are very conservative, people who are very liberal, um, people of different races, ethnicities. Everything. And so I think that that's the key. I think the key is let's get people from this is such a crazy country, right? We have so many different types of people, such incredible diversity in this country. And if we're ever going to have a political system, a system of power that actually represents everybody, then we have to bring in new people. And that means we have to bring in young people. We have to bring in more women. We have to bring in um, people of of different uh, uh, LGBTQ um, statuses. We have to bring in people who come from you know displaced communities, and and we we have to look at the full picture because we haven't really talked about numbers yet, Andrew. But mm-hmm. and I, I'm going to steal your thunder and and talk, talk about the numbers if that's okay.
0: No, do it. So I won't mess with that. Okay.
1: Okay, good. Okay. So we have 535 members of Congress. In 2018, we had the most women ever elected to Congress. It was really, really exciting. There were headlines everywhere. When I ask audiences, hey, how do you think women are doing in politics in America? I'm telling you, I almost always get the same answer, which is They are doing great, you know, because we saw the headlines and we got more women in Congress than ever before. Well, we're not even at 24 percent women in Congress, which is so interesting. And we're one of the the lower countries in the world. They're like they're like 100 um, plus countries above us who have more women in their political systems. I think that, you know, we really do see that even though we're making strides, there is such a need. Back in 2018, our latest, uh, our last election, there were so many different types of people elected. There were so many firsts. And that really gives me hope. I mean, there were um, two Native American women. There were Hispanic women elected from Texas, which has never happened before. There were just so many um, people who joined Congress as the first of, of their um, their group who had ever been in power, and I think that that's a really, really good sign. And I think that hopefully the country is heading that direction to electing more diverse leaders.
0: I want to, I want to keep on the numbers here and pivot into the military, but I do want to yeah. ask one: Where do you see the most resistance? Is it from men, or is it from the actual community of women mm-hmm. that just kind of what we talked about before? Maybe like, well, that's not our our role or our job. Uh, We have other responsibilities. Where do you get most of your pushback from? Oh, I mean, that's so interesting.
1: You know, it's from women and it's, it's not. um, So I think that most, most men, most men understand that adding women to leadership positions is probably a good thing. And I think that, and most women do too, of course, but I think that it's the asking women to take that step and say, it's going to be me. You know, to raise their hand. Uh, One thing I also do in crowds um, when I'm speaking to groups of people is I ask them, Do you think the world would be a better place if there were more women in leadership? And almost every audience, they almost every hand goes up. Like people get it. If we had a little better balance of power, it would be a good thing. But then I follow it up and I ask, You know, okay, so who in this room is going to run for office? And usually they're crickets, totally silent. People are like, no, not me. And, you know, they might think, um, you know, who would be really good is my friend Cindy she is good. Or like, you know, my mom, maybe she should run, but it's, I think it is, it's, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier when women have not seen themselves in positions of power. And then if you, if you consider, right. So like a white woman has not seen herself in positions of power much, but then if you are an LGBTQ um, Latina woman, then wow. Like every step you get away from that center of power, which is the straight white Christian male, every step you get you get outside of that circle, the harder it is to see yourself as a person in, in power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think that um, that's it's really important to to showcase role models and to have programs that um, that in, that give women encouragement to see themselves as that person um, on center stage.
0: I, I forget where I read this, but those who are oppressed the most tend to justify the oppression the most. You were speaking of earlier, you know, that just got elected to Congress. Yeah. A lot of those were grassroots. And I know we're going to talk about that in a moment. But that, that started when you were describing that. I remember one in particular, she was up against a white male who had been in office for decades and he mm-hmm. was, the one that was probably going to win. He made it really clear when they had one of their community debates that, you know, Hey, thanks for running. I'm sure you're going to do great in the future. And uh-huh. I just like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that. <laughs> he
1: <didn't laughs> that. Right. And
0: he ended up winning, you know, yeah. um, but I got, you know, when you were saying that, I could feel the pain of like, like yeah, I'm way in over my head. Why would I be doing this? So I want to transition into women in the military. And I know you've had some experience. You've actually been to different bases and were able yeah. to interview and talk to a lot of milita- active duty military service members. But I do want to just preface this with a story. I was at a training, and this is quite a while back. They always pick the senior officer to be in charge. So they did. And it was a a male, white. Mm -hmm. And he got up and he gave his presentation and I'm in charge and X, Y, and Z. Next day, next morning, all of a sudden, there is a black woman up on stage with him. She announced, she outranked him by... I want to say a, it was a day for sure. Uh-huh. And and they had debated that. And he actually said, you know, well, maybe we just go ahead and keep it the way it is. You know, we've already kind of got the ball rolling. And she uh-huh. refused. And, she <laughs> was the first, and I can't remember. She was the captain. She was the first woman, uh, female captain of a particular ship. And she took charge. And I, I, I won't give out too much information, but uh-huh. this was. What we call in, in the military kind of POW training. So SEER, uh-huh. S-E-R-E, training really hard. And when you're a woman, so you remember the, remember the movie um, Navy SEALs with Demi Moore?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah.
0: Like, just kind of imagine that. Women get treated really poorly because they're, they're more vulnerable right. if they were caught and were a POW. And so for her, number one, to challenge him publicly. And then number two, knowing she was really gonna get, beat up <laughs> literally. And yeah, so, yeah. um, but she did wonderful and I can't imagine what it did for the few women that were in our class to see, it did something for me. It, it yeah. really, wow. I, you know, I can't believe she did that, but I'm so glad that, and I've served, like I said earlier, with a lot of female leaders where they have been, it's been them and 30 men in a room. And yeah.
1: Um, right. So, and, and I mean, I think that that, that's such a good point. And I think, um, I wonder all the time how people get that courage to be that person. You know, how did that, the woman you were just talking about, how did she get the courage to challenge, you know, this man on stage and say, no, this is my right. I need to do this. Um, and I really think that it comes down to, you have to believe so strongly in something outside of yourself. So we were talking about how you have to believe in your own power, but but when we look at the people who have been successfully elected or, or successfully elevated to leadership, so often it's because they believe in something outside themselves so strongly. And even though they're scared um, and they don't necessarily want to be the person who is uh, the champion of that issue they don't see anybody else doing it. And they know that if they don't step up, then nothing is ever going to get better. And that issue is never going to get changed. And I think that um, I think that that's a, a really good sign, too, that when we get women into leadership so often, they're getting in for really, really good
0: reasons. I have a Facebook group, um, and this happens to be a group of Navy uh, moms and dads with recruits at boot camp. And I've been doing uh-huh. an ongoing survey of you know, is your recruit male or female?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And yesterday I looked at it. And it was about 50 50. I was pretty encouraged. And then right before you and I started to talk, mm-hmm. I looked at it and it had completely changed where there was half as many females as males. Let's talk about a female in the military from mm-hmm. recruit boot camp training. They've just started. What do they do now? as recruits and throughout their career, whether it's four years or 20 years, get on that path of becoming that leader. So you said, you know, yeah. what gives that one female courage to stand up and do that? What would yeah. you say to these young women that are just starting their journey in a very male dominated? And I think the number of female Members in the military today is about 14 to 17 percent. Some of the branches Mm -hmm. have a few more. And in Congress, so, you know, we'll jump back to that for a second. There's only seven women. There's
1: seven out of 96.
0: 96 veterans in
1: Congress. But um, Andrew, you had a really good point too, which was that we used to have many, many more veterans of of boat genders in Congress, and it's really fallen down in recent years.
0: Dramatically. When I looked at those numbers, I mean, it was up to 64%, 73% back in the 70s. And then again, in the early 80s, when I was in the Marine Corps, I looked at the numbers and it was less than 10%. That was in the (laughs) late Early '90s, I think, or probably late '90s, it was less than ten percent. It's even dropped further. So, but yeah, what what can we what can you tell the the moms listening or the the husbands who are Mm. spouses of a female wife, or even the children of mom that just went off and joined the military?
1: Yeah. So here's what I really think. Um, I think the women who enter the military have such a leg up in term, you know, from other women their age who are entering. You know, they enter. Uh, Entry level jobs, and they often are not given very much responsibility. And when you enter the military, you are being trained as a professional. You are being, you know, seen as a leader, somebody who has to be disciplined, um, somebody who has to step up and face difficult challenges. I just. I feel like you couldn't ask for a better training ground for somebody who eventually is going to go into public service or or lead at any level than um, having the opportunity to serve in the military. But the fascinating thing to me is that um, there have been studies that show that, while for men, credential of being um, a, a veteran and having military service has always been this incredibly great credential that helps them get jobs and get elected to office and, you know, helps to sort of make their whole career that it hasn't been the same for women. And so I think that that's one thing that we've really got to change. I think that, you know, we were talking earlier about how so much of this is how you view yourself and your position and the possibilities for your life. And so really what I would tell the the young women in the military is the same thing that I would tell the women at Running Start is we all have these internal barriers that say we're not the one who's meant to be at the top. And I think that having encouragement um, from role models and mentors um, who can tell you, look, you're highly trained you know, you have learned the discipline um, from the military. You have learned these leadership qualities in a way that civilians just do you know, they're so far behind you and that you can use this to, to basically become a powerful person and to take your leadership to the next level, whether it's in the military or once you get out.
0: Going back to one of your three pillars, tell me if I get this incorrect, but one of them (laughs) is networking. And I'll just say as a whole, we think veterans might have an advantage of getting out and getting a job. When I think about everything that you had just mentioned, and then the the fog of war is what we call it in the military, when you kind of, you're in this fast pace, tempo of active duty service, sometimes you just kind of forget about that there's life after this. Uh-huh. And some people re-enlist because of that. Uh, they don't, you know, they reenlist because they just do not see a path out right at this moment. So I think in general, even though a lot of companies out there offer veterans kind of first choice to jobs, yeah. it's still difficult across the board for veterans. I think it comes down to the mentorship in, within the military, when that person is getting ready a year out to transition. And I'm just wondering, a program like yours, influencing some of these younger women that are at boot camp now, or, you know, in their first or second year of active duty, if that would make an impact of really fusing, you know, integrating some of these leadership skills. And I know the military does its own style of of leadership skills, but once they transition out, that's hard because the civilian world doesn't always accept the military. Right.
1: but I mean, I think that that's so crazy, though. I really do. I mean, from everything that I've learned that from all the people who I know who um, have been in the service, um, those credentials are, are so um, honed, like their leadership ability is so honed by being in the military. So the one thing, though, that I would say, I, I love the idea of LinkedIn. Um, I think that really what you're talking about is you're talking about two different worlds. So the reason people will re-up in the military is because they don't see options in the civilian world. And so I do think that there are lots of great platforms and opportunities for women in the military to connect themselves to the civilian world, um, even while they're in the military. So Running Start has our own network um, that you can find on our website. And Andrew, should I say the website or are you going to
0: show it later. No, go ahead and save the website and then I'll also okay. share
1: it. Yeah. So it's runningstart.org. And um, if you look up at the right-hand corner, it says join our network. Um, so our network is like many others, and I'll tell you about the other ones in a second, but we connect young women to powerful women all around the country and, and frankly around the world too, with the idea that established women, older women want to help. They want to um to be that voice who can uh, connect young women who can give advice and young women, you know, so often they just, they don't ask. And so we would be, you know, we would be so thrilled to have more military women join our network. It's obviously totally free. There are networks at so many of the women's empowerment, uh, empowerment groups around the country that are also a good um a good idea, and there are training programs too. So, she should run is one of our partners, and um, the Women's Campaign School at Yale University is another one of our partners. Um, Higher Heights, which works just with African American women, um, helping them get into politics. So, there's so many groups that have free trainings that where they would absolutely welcome women in the military because we're not seeing as many enter into our programs. And to me, women in the military, are the absolute perfect, um, uh, candidate to train in these leadership skills that we see in the non-military world, in the civilian world.
0: And your website's a wonderful site. I went on there. I watched your video, uh, which oh, you is did? Very okay. Yeah, I loved it. Um, Uh, You got, you really pulled me in your whole side, just visiting with you the other day. I was just like, oh my gosh, Um, you just had me at the edge of my seat. I was like, I cannot wait to talk to her more. Um, So good. But you have a lot of success stories. I know everybody that goes through your program at some level pivots their life for the better. Do you have any specific stories to kind of give our audience kind of a visual of what a person coming out of your program would end up doing, where they would start, you know, where they are now? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, so a lot of, of the people who find Running Start, they um, find us through their high school. So they are high school kids who come to this program that now it's a six-week program. It, it was a one-week program um, because it's virtual. And so they will, they'll come, they'll join this high school program. They will um, meet a lot of of interesting men and women who are, are supportive of their careers and want to help them out in leadership. Um, and then, you know, they go on from there and they can do our elect her training program, which is like a little mini boot camp in teaching women what are the the skills, like the most basic skills that you need to, to run for office, but also really to um to be able to get people to listen to the the ideas that you think are important. Um, And then we have the fellowship program that I talked to you about earlier. And I want to tell you about one of our students, um, Allie Curtis. She actually went through the fellowship program. She also did our elect her program at her college. Um, She was a really interesting woman. She was very um, interested in leadership. And I know she came into our program she was one of the the rare ones who knew that she wanted to run for office some someday. Um, she's from Rhode Island, and she so she went through all these running start programs, and then um, and I think held a leadership position at her college, and then Allie ran for Miss Rhode Island, so in the Miss America contest, um, which is an, an interesting path. What um, we see, it really is. I mean, we we do see um, women use. Um, beauty pageants as a vehicle to get their name out there or practice their leadership skills. But the reason I'm talking about Allie is because then she joined the Rhode Island National Guard and she has been there um, for a few years and is thriving. And so I I feel like there... There's so many different ways that people can go to get trained, to be leaders, to get that confidence, to build up their their credentials and build up contacts. And I love that Allie, she, she came to Running Start, and then she did the beauty pageant route, and now she is with the National Guard and is learning all sorts of leadership skills that way. And I know we're going to see Allie Curtis run for Congress one day soon. Um, and she is somebody who, you know, she doesn't come from a, a particularly connected background, but she um, she's always really believed in herself and had a platform that she wanted the rest of the world to hear. Um, and so I I think that she will be successful for that reason. And I also was just going to tell you, um, we also, we have, we have a lot of women who have actually been elected, um, only one to Congress. It's Lauren Underwood, Congresswoman Lauren Underwood from Illinois Um is our first Congresswoman in office. She's the first Black woman ever elected um, from Illinois to Congress. And she's Really young, and she's cool, and she wears a backpack, and I, I just, I love her.
0: <laughs> but uh, congratulations on that; that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's really, it was really good. And then, um, but then we have other people who, you know, you're not going to see their names in the paper, but there's this great young woman named Allison Carpenter. She, she went to Howard University in DC, and she, um, she was literally walking down the hall and saw a sign for one of our trainings but she didn't even care about the training. She saw that they were offering free brec- free breakfast and she was a college student. She was hungry. And so she went in and she uh, got a bagel and thought it'd be rude if she left immediately. And she left the training so inspired that she actually went out and filed with the DC government to run for local office in DC for advisory neighborhood commissioner. And let me just tell you, Allison she, she is such a go-getter, but she's not somebody who grew up with, you know, connected parents or, um, with a, a lot of, um, of help or support. Um, she just was really self-motivated and going into that training for running start was the, it was like the catalyst that all of a sudden made her say, wait, I can do this. I can absolutely do this. And she actually, she, so she won her seat as an advisory neighborhood commissioner. And then um, she went back and she ran um, against a slate of all men uh, to win the SGA presidency of Howard university. So she was, um, she was the first female president at Howard for um, in many, many years. So there's so many, I mean, I could, I could tell you stories all day about all the women who I'm so proud of, but I think that just my last thought on that is, a lot of times people look at who they are and where they come from, and they, they say, I could never do this. I could never run for office. I could never be a leader because of X. And I want to tell you, I don't think anybody has a real um, excuse for that. I think that, that there are so many types of people who you think would never, ever be able to win, and they do win. And so um, if you find yourself telling yourself, well, you know, she's not talking to me and I can't do this. And, and, you know, because of X, Y, Z, you know, I had a parent uh, in prison or I have undocumented parents or I, um, any number of things, I'm an introvert. And you say, well, I just, I couldn't do it. You can do it. And we need to get more diverse voices into power.
0: Everybody that goes through your program isn't expected to become a congressperson or congresswoman. There are many opportunities at the local area, like you were just mentioning with a couple of your examples.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I mean, really, we need women running in all levels of government from, you know, advisory neighborhood commissioner that I was just talking about in D.C. Um, it's, you know, it's a really humble position. You don't really have any voting power, but you have your voice heard by the city council people. Um all the way up. So school board, city council, uh, running for state legislature, do you know that they're not enough women in any of those seats? So it's not just that at Congress at the, you know, that high level, we don't have it. It's, it's any seat and you can do a huge amount of good for your community by, by running and winning in one of those seats. So I think that, that What you should do is if there's a problem that you see in your community, if there's something that is really bothering you and you wish was different and you want to make a difference, then look and see who has authority over that. Is it city council? Is it the mayor's office? Is it the federal government? And then you can tell which position might be um, the best for you to run for. And you know what? Maybe you don't want to run for office. Maybe that's just just not going to work for you. I I think that the most important thing is to realize you have the right. To have a voice. You have the right to talk about issues that you're passionate about and get other people to listen to you. And you can change things. You can be that person who makes the difference. Now, I'd like more people to do it in politics, but it's not the only way. And by going to, um, community meetings, by, uh, writing, um, an op-ed in the newspaper, you might think you don't know anything about how to do it. Well, there's this thing called the Op-ed Project that's trying to get more women to write Um, stories in the newspaper, and they love it when you're maybe not the usual kind of person who writes. Um, uh, It might even be easier to get something um, placed by a newspaper. Knowing that you have power and that you can find ways to wield that power, that's what I want for women most of all. Because I think too many of us just say, it can't be me. I don't have any power. I don't have a voice. And that's what, what really upsets me. And that's what I'm fighting against with Running Start.
0: Well, you're doing a fantastic job. I'm completely inspired. I'm going to keep spreading the word, your website, runningstart.org. And I always tell people, if you need anybody to tell you how great you are, you can just call me. (laughs) And so, (laughs) so you know, I'm the first to be the champion of of anybody Uh and you can't tell me anything that's ever going to disqualify uh, where a person comes from, their background, their history none of that really matters to me. All that matters to me is what Mm -hmm. you just summed up in that you have a right to participate in the world around you. Thank you. Thank you for being an educator, a leader, a person that people can engage with. And thanks for being on our show today.
1: Andrew, thank you so much for having me on. And um, anybody, uh, if you want to learn more about Running Start, just shoot me an email. I would love to tell you about how to get involved um, or about next steps in your leadership journey.
0: Thanks, Susanna.
1: Okay. Thank you so much, Andrew.